0: As is our custom on this particular Lord's Day evening, uh, we have uh, a brief time in the Word and then we focus our attention on praying in light of the Word and then also in light of some other things that... um, Uh, how we can intercede for one another. You should have picked up, there was a sheet on the front for your table. If you didn't get that, you may want to get a sheet that will aid us in a moment in praying together. Just some things I'll go over to remind us to be praying for and adding some things to that sheet as well. Uh, But one of the things we always do is that we want to pray in light of the word. We want to pray according to the will of God. And how do we know the will of God? Well, it's revealed in the scriptures. These last two months during our prayer time, Pastor Devon last month and then Pastor Sean the previous month, uh, led our time of corporate prayer and taught from the Word. Prior to that, I had been teaching on the subject of godly zeal, and so I want us to go back to that subject and uh, continue that subject and then also pray in light of these things for a godly, sacred zeal. Um, I've mentioned to you this book called Living Zealously by Joel Beakey and James A. LaBelle. Um, it's a book that I read while I was on sabbatical three years ago and, and spent some time uh, considering the things therein. And I wanted to bring some of these matters to you and for us to pray for us as a body of believers in light of these things. So uh, back in, I guess that's March. Have to look up here. It's small on my screen. That's actually February. Um, I talked on the subject during our Sunday school hour on godly zeal. Um, and based on the verse in Romans 12, verse 11, that says, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then also in Titus 2, verse 14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us. To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And then it describes us in this way. We should be zealous for good deeds. And so in that Sunday School lesson, you can go to Sermon Audio and you can listen to that if you weren't here in February and heard that. We talked about godly zeal encouraged in the scriptures. We're to be fervent in spirit. Godly zeal encumbered what hinders godly zeal. Godly zeal explained a definition and again defining it and describing it from the scriptures. And then godly zeal exemplified and we just briefly considered uh, the zeal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a godly zeal that uh, the God-man had when he walked on this earth. In the book Living Zealously... Uh, Joel Beakey, I'll just, instead of referring to both their names, I'll say Beakey or Joel Beakey, uh, wrote this, Christian zeal is a purposeful stirring and inflaming of the affections. So again, we talked about that this morning. Love for God, the affections of the heart. And so Christian zeal is a purposeful We're not just waiting for it to happen to us through the means God has given. There is this purposeful stirring and, I like the language, inflaming. Again, we want to be like a fire um, that is burning uh, for God, an inflaming of the affections. It is a holy passion which, like a magnifying glass that concentrates the sun's rays into a single point of light, captures the believer's affections, and drives them toward a specific biblical goal. Of course, ultimately, the biblical goal is the glory of God, but it also drives us to a greater love for God and zealousness for holiness. And so uh, I taught on in May during this time uh, the marks of Christian zeal. And again, you can listen to that if you missed that uh, by going online and Listening to the teaching uh, on that subject, basically the outline was this. The marks of Christian zeal as defined in the book is Christian zeal is marked by love for God. It's ruled by scripture. It's devoted to good works. Christian zeal begins with self-examination. And then it cares for others as well. It seeks to encourage them and strengthen them in the things of God. And Christian zeal finally is constant. And then the next month in June, we talked about the motivations for Christian zeal. Not just the marks, but then what motivates it. And in the book, again, Joel Beakey in the book is, is really taking a compilation of the Puritans and, and their writings and, and then uh, defining zeal, the motives for zeal, and as we'll see tonight, the regulation of godly zeal. But under the motives of Christian zeal, he writes that we should be motivated by Christ's purchase. He gave himself for us. He redeemed us from our sin to purify us, to be his people. And the blood of Christ shed for us should inflame our hearts. And so we should be motivated by Christ's purchase of a people. Thomas Manton wrote that they live at a low rate of holiness cross and disgrace the whole design that that christians would live as at a low rate of holiness crosses and disgraces the whole design of the gospel in other words when we consider the gospel it's not just to save us from the consequences of our sin but then that we might live to his glory and sanctification and so we should always live in light of the precious blood of christ shed for us excuse me Went a little too quickly there. We've been bought with a price, and therefore we are to glorify God in our bodies as we consider the purchase of Christ for us. I won't go through all of these, but but just to remind you that we should be motivated even by unbelievers. Uh, We should be motivated by people, as the Puritans would write, who are violent in the ways of sin. And the way they would speak of it is, These are violent times. These are difficult times. People are pursuing their sin zealously. And we should be motivated by people who are violent, the, the Puritans would say it that way, in the ways of sin, lest they serve Satan better than we serve God. We want to, as those who once were enslaved to Satan, now as servants of God, slaves of God, We want to be as zealous for the things that are holy as we once were for things that were unholy. And so we should be motivated by unbelievers as they pursue the things that are ungodly. So we should even more pursue the things that are godly. We should be motivated by the passing of time. That the time is passing, our life is a vapor, and that should grab our attention. We don't want to waste our time. We should be motivated by the enemy of our faith. There's an adversary who would seek to devour us. So we have to be zealous for things that are godly, lest we be swallowed up and consumed by him. We should be motivated by our weaknesses. an acknowledgement of our weaknesses, we should understand we can't be passive in the Christian life. We need to be zealous pursuing the things of God. And we should be motivated by the danger of coldness. And the repugnance of a lukewarm heart before God that is so displeasing to him. So there are various motives for Christian zeal. But tonight we want to briefly talk about the regulation of godly zeal. The regulation of Christian zeal or sacred holy zeal. Now to regulate means to subject to rules and restrictions or to govern or direct according to rule, or to control, direct, or govern according to a principle or a system. And so we speak of the regulation of godly zeal. And godly zeal needs to be regulated. Now we've we've touched on this in the past. It's ruled by scripture. It's regulated by scripture. And Zeal needs to be regulated to be godly zeal because it can be nothing but pure passion. It can be out of control. We can be zealous for the wrong things. So we need to know for what are we to be zealous. And zeal can be disproportionate for the thing or the situation. And so it needs to be regulated if it is to be sacred, holy zeal. On page 51 in the book, Living Zealously, it says this, While counterfeit zeal has a selfish rule, blind zeal has a false rule, and turbulent zeal has no rule, sacred zeal has a sacred rule. And he says our aim in this chapter is to understand the need for regulating sacred zeal. And so we need to ask questions like this. What things should you be zealous for? How do you know what those things are for which we should be zealous? Are some things more important than others? And if so, how do we know what the weightier things are? How do you know what the more important things are? And so these are questions that have to do with the regulation Of godly or sacred zeal. He writes in the book on page 52 we can be overheated about small matters, or we can be indifferent about matters of greater significance. So, this is the danger that we get too zealous, overheated, so to speak, about matters that are small, and then are indifferent about those matters that are of great significance. And so, in the book, Joel Beakey writes, So to possess sacred zeal, we must not only be inflamed about sacred things, but also for sacred things, and this is key, in proportion to their importance and exercise according to prescribed methods. Very important phrase. In proportion to their importance. How do we know what those weighty things are? for which we should be zealous. And how do we know how Christian zeal should look like, what it should look like? What are the prescribed methods, so to speak? John Evans, who lived from 1680 to 1730, explained this. Indeed, it, that is zeal, is no virtue at all unless it be well-placed and regulated well-placed and regulated. So in the book, he speaks of King David who was zealous in conducting a census of his kingdom despite Joab's warning that he shouldn't do so. He was zealous for the wrong things. And you can read throughout the scriptures those who were zealous to do certain things, but their zeal was not well-placed. And it wasn't regulated by the word of God or by wisdom so John Evans goes on to say, zeal should bear a proportion to the value and importance of things. So, no, Another important phrase, the value and importance of things. Indeed, the least truth of which we are convinced must not be given up. So all truth is important nor should we act contrary to known duty in the least instance. In other words, the Puritans would talk about how if it's a known duty from the Scriptures, a requirement, this is something we should give ourselves to. So we're not, by talking about things that should be weightier, we're not saying that, that known duties before God or certain truths should be given up. But we understand that not all truths are of equal importance in various ways. Let me give you some example. First the quote But all truths or duties are not of equal moment, or that means importance, as the Puritans during that time would use it. Not all truths and or duties are of equal importance or concern either to ourselves or others to honor God or the interest of religion. They went on to say since that is the case, John Evans said there is room for the exercise of moderation as a virtue in relation to things of small consequence. So not everything is as important. We understand this in life, that that as we go about, we're not talking about truth, but we don't treat everything equal, of the same value. That, yes, it may be important, but some things are of greater importance in life than other things. And we would say it's not wise for us to treat everything as if it has the same value and importance, or we're going to be overheated again about things of small consequence. And then if we're not careful, indifferent about matters of greater significance. So we need our zeal regulated by the Word of God. We need to know what is of small consequence and what is of greater significance. Now, you should be asking, well, where is this in the Scriptures? So let me give you an example of that. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So here Jesus is being very firm with them. And he's pronouncing in this section of Scripture various woes to these legalists. And he calls them hypocrites. And here's why. One of the reasons, he says, for you tithe, they gave a tenth of mint and dill and cumin. So they were very meticulous in tithing those very small plants, seeds. And he says, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So he doesn't say they should not have tied the mint, the dill, and the cumin. He says these are things you should have done. The problem is they were very zealous about those things, but they had neglected the weightier provisions of the law. So here Jesus is acknowledging that Not everything is of the same weight, so to speak. There are weightier provisions. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness are weightier than whether or not someone is tithing the mint, dill, and the cumin. Again, it's not that that's not important. We should not give up the least truth. Or... In one sense, we should not devalue the, the, the simplest duty we have before God, but not to the neglect of the weightier things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And of course, you're familiar with the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, how they had various ways to neglect the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, so they would for example, the responsibility that would fall in the category of, of justice and righteousness, mercy, uh, in taking care of a widow. And the responsibility they had that in a parent's older age or in a situation in which there was need, instead of meeting that need, which would be the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, they they created what wasn't in the law. They would give certain things to God. They, Corban, they would call it, which means given to God. And they would say, we can't, we can't meet the needs of a widow, of a person in great need, because we've given this to God, and it can't be touched. So they not only would just focus on the wrong things, they would make up their own laws, and they were very zealous for things that weren't even... Required by God uh, in His law. So here's an example of that, where there are weightier provisions of the law, things that, that have more consequence, that are worthy of, therefore, a greater zeal in our lives. So then the question is, what are some benchmarks for determining the value of a belief or duty before God, a doctrine or a responsibility or duty before God? And so in the book, there's a section that speaks of that, benchmarks for determining the value of a belief or duty. And it says this, the first benchmark is the word of God. If Scripture classifies something as a necessary belief, that is, for example, the resurrection of Christ, or if it classifies it as an incumbent duty, for example, forgiving one another, that belief cannot be maintained, that duty cannot be performed with too much zeal. So here we find two categories. A necessary belief or an incumbent duty. But if scripture assigns the matter to the realm of Christian liberty, as we find in places like Romans 14, it would be wrong to be overly passionate about one side or the other. And so Joel Beeke writes that matters of liberty call more for love than for zeal. And so these are some benchmarks Is it a necessary belief, like the resurrection? We dare not compromise in the slightest about the resurrection. It is a necessary belief. And so we find in places like 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul emphasizing the necessity of that for the Christian life. If that's not true, then nothing of Christian doctrine, nothing of the gospel is true. And then these incumbent duties we have to one another, like forgiveness. So that's the first benchmark, the Word of God, the Scripture classified as a necessary belief or an incumbent duty. But then in the book, it speaks of the second benchmark by which we may determine the value and importance of a belief or duty is its tendency to promote or hinder practical godliness. For we have been called to this as God's people goes on to say, on the one hand, we may ask whether the belief or duty contributes to the promotion and defense of godliness. If it does, then with an eye to the glory of God and the edification of his people, we should zealously uphold it. On the other hand, we should ask whether the implementation of this activity or belief hinders practical godliness. If it does, That with an eye to the call of the gospel to devote ourselves unto good works, we should be zealous against it. So here are some benchmarks that we ask. Is it a necessary belief? Is it an incumbent duty? Does it further the promotion and defense of godliness? And does it hinder practical godliness? So these are some benchmarks for determining the value of a belief or duty. Now, when we speak of incumbent duty, the word incumbent means it's necessary for some responsibility. It's obligatory. God has placed this responsibility upon us. And sometimes believers can be zealous for and fight for and cause conflict over a whole host of things that are not necessary beliefs. They are not what we call primary doctrinal issues that are pertaining to the gospel. That one must believe in order to be a Christian. And people can be zealous for particular duties that are not obligatory as defined by the Word of God. That is, sometimes they might make up their own precepts. What the scripture calls the precepts of men. People can actually be zealous for things that do not promote godliness and actually promote ungodliness. Sometimes we can be zealous for all kinds of sin. We can be zealous for ourselves. We can be zealous for our own glory, our name, our sinful desires. These are things that the Puritans would speak of arise out of natural zeal. That is fleshly, sinful zeal. John Reynolds called natural, unregulated zeal, quote, an incarnate devil. We have to be, therefore, on guard to make sure that we are regulated by the Word of God, thoroughly scriptural in our zeal. What should stir up the heart of the believer? Are those things that are essential in the Word of God? We should be looking for those things. What are some of those things? Well, the glory of God itself. We should be zealous for the glory of God. Love for God. We should be zealous to be growing in love for God. and The spread of the gospel. The salvation of souls. Obedience to God by obeying His word. Personal and practical holiness. These are things who we should be zealous for. Love for neighbor. Love for our wives men. Love for our children. Bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord, these are incumbent duties. We should be zealous about our various callings and vocations. By that, I don't just mean your jobs. I mean we have various. The Puritans would speak of, and even time of the Reformation, as the sanctity of labor and work, and various responsibilities we have before God would be once again. Elevated to their proper place. I have a vocation not just as a pastor, but I have a vocation as a husband, as a father, as a fellow believer. That's a vocation, so to speak, a responsibility, a holy calling in the world and among the people of God and in the home, in the church. So these are things we should be zealous for. So, really, the things that are primary are things that are related to the gospel itself, the furtherance of the gospel, and things that adorn the gospel of God to an unbelieving world, things that bring praise to the glory of His grace. And so, again, benchmarks for determining the value and belief of a belief in duty is it a necessary belief according to the scriptures an incumbent duty in the scriptures does it further godliness if so we should be zealous for it if it hinders practical godliness if it's not a doctrine that's taught in the scriptures we should be zealously against it and so we need to ask questions like this of ourselves to examine ourselves do we tend to get overheated about small matters. Therefore, misdirected, misguided zeal. That's not a holy zeal. A sacred zeal, a godly zeal. Are you indifferent about matters of greater significance? Have you even thought about what the weightier things are? Is your zeal directed toward necessary belief and incumbent duties before God? And are you zealous about practical godliness? And do you abhor that which hinders holiness? These are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves as we think of the regulation of this holy, godly zeal. So in the book on page 52... Beeky writes this, so to possess sacred zeal, not natural fleshly zeal, but sacred, holy, godly zeal, we must not only be inflamed about sacred things, but also for sacred things in proportion to their importance and exercise according to prescribed methods. On the other hand, being overzealous about small matters or Neglecting weightier matters or disproportionately concerned over one matter to neglect of a weightier matter will lead to hypocrisy. So we need to be on guard against hypocrisy. Again, it goes back to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. They were hypocrites because they were very careful about smaller matters, but they were overlooking the weightier matters of the law. One more example in regard to that is Matthew 23, verse 24, where Jesus said, You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They strained out a gnat, but he says, You swallow a camel. Now, what's the background of that? Well, one commentator describes it this way that He said the rabbis actually debated this. The law says contact with a dead animal makes one impure. But they would debate how does that apply to a gnat that falls into a cup of milk, for example, and dies? Are you coming in contact with a a dead animal and is it therefore unclean? And so they had all kinds of rulings about gnats. The smallest of what they would call unclean animals that maybe had died and they they wanted to strain out the gnat. So just in case something fell into their cup, they would strain it out. Even the gnat. If you swallowed a gnat, you came in contact with an unclean animal. They're so meticulous about those things. that Then they even came up with their own regulations about things that God had not regulated. And this commentator says, meanwhile, they swallowed camels, the largest of unclean animals. That is, while they belabored minute issues, they ignored the great ones, ones that touch the core of God's interests, again, such as justice and mercy. So as we consider again what godly zeal is, the marks of godly zeal the motivations for godly zeal, we also need to consider the regulation of godly zeal. How often do we see even today in the church the body of Christ, universal but in local assemblies where there's division and conflict over things that people are zealous about that that are not the weightier things? And yet, we sometimes neglect the weighty things. We hear people talking about, and you've, that there really are churches that split over the color of the carpet. All kinds of things that really aren't regulated at all by God's word. They're regulated by our preferences. And yes, maybe they're important. You know, you don't want, I don't know, I don't want to say because. I could be wrong. <laughs> Red carpet and purple chairs. I don't guess we want that, do we? But in the end, what's weighty? People fight over and have conflict over things. And again, truth is important. And But even in the truth of God's word, we speak of primary doctrinal issues, secondary doctrinal issues, and tertiary doctrinal issues. Some things are weightier than others. And so for the sake of the glory of God in His church. And for the sake of <clears throat> the unity of the body, we need to have, understand the regulation of godly zeal. We need to make sure that we're unified on being zealous for things pertaining to the gospel, the glory of God, the salvation of sinners. Then other things. Maybe not hold to so tightly. And Be charitable even when there's disagreement regarding those particular things. So we can see how the regulation of godly zeal is an important subject. And so what I want us to do is take just a little bit of time and and pray for this particularly. And so I'm going to put this time in the category of praying in light of what we've talked about just now regarding zeal, zealousness, godly zeal, the regulation of godly zeal, but then also on your Uh, handout under Discipleship Ministries, Sunday School and Worship, I'd like for us to pray particularly for the ministry of the Word as well, not only for the Word as we've heard it tonight, but pray for the current sermon series on a call for men to be godly and intercede for one another in regard to those things and what Pastor Ernest has been teaching on in the Lord's message to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, what Pastor Devon has been teaching on in Proverbs, and then more recently Pastor Sean and teaching in the book of Job. And so let's pray for these things, the ministry of the word and specifically what we've been hearing from the word of God tonight and in our worship services and Sunday school as well. So I would ask if we do that, then we'll pause, we'll We'll finish that time of prayer, and then we'll pray for some other things, and I'll mention some of the things that we can intercede for. But let's just have a season of prayer for these things. So let me just, again, ask you. I'm going to call upon you men to pray in light of this. whole other subject. We know in the Scriptures and 1 Corinthians that there was a time and women did pray with their heads covered, and we don't want to get into that subject tonight. But also we find in Scriptures... In 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, I want men in every place to pray. And he's calling upon men to lead in that way. And so I'm doing that. I'm calling upon you men to pray. And he says, pray in this way, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. So just as a reminder, he's not commanding that we literally have to lift our hands. But the focus of that is in prayer that we have holy hands. We confess our sins before the Lord. We don't come before Him holding on to sin. And it says, without wrath or dissension. In other words, we're seeking peace among the brethren. And so we're men who are pursuing the things of God. We're pursuing holiness. We're pursuing right relationships in the body. And in that heart attitude, men pray and intercede in light of the things that are the will of God. And so men, I call upon you to do that. So let's have a, just a season of time to pray for these things regarding godly Christian zeal and the subjects of the ministry of the word that are, we're under uh, hearing currently. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the clarity your word gives. Lord, if we're without your word, we're in the darkness. We're stumbling. But Father, having Your Word and knowing it, loving it, seeking to live in accordance with Your revealed will in the Word, Lord, we have light. It is a light to our path. So Father, we thank You that we have Your Word. And we thank You that it gives us clarity about those things that are weighty in life, things that are most important, even in Your law, things that are of great value and significance. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those who have wisdom as we study Your Word to know those things that are the weightier provisions of the law, those things that are very significant that we dare not neglect at all, that we be zealous for. And, Father, I pray that We would be zealous for sanctification. Lord, we know that this is your will that we be sanctified. We know that it's your will that we work out our salvation, our sanctification in fear and trembling. We know that it's your will that we walk carefully and according to your word that we should not be foolish but understand what your will is as revealed in Scripture and we should pursue it fervently. Father, I pray we would be fervent in spirit for holiness, to be like Christ, to not be those who name your name, but then live in a manner contrary to the gospel itself. I pray that, Lord, as we are zealous for good deeds, that we would be those who are not trusting in those deeds, but trusting in Christ. And as we trust in Christ for our salvation, I pray that we would be zealous though to bring glory to His name, to walk with Him as not only our Savior, but our Lord under His headship and under His rule. Father, I pray that we would be careful to make sure that our our zeal are for things that are holy. Things that are your will according to the word. I pray, Father, that we would be careful in that sense. And God, forgive us for sometimes being zealous for things that are of no consequence, things that are not even necessary, not even your will according to the Scriptures. God, forgive us when we're zealous for for even carnal fleshly things or things that, that have no eternal significance while we neglect those things that Indeed, are of eternal value and significance. Father, I pray that we would not, Lord, impoverish our own souls by being zealous for that which is not holy. So I ask, Father, that we would be, even as we've seen recently in your word, be careful how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of our time, for the days are evil. Father, I pray we would not be foolish, but understand what your will is as revealed in Scripture. And I pray these things for your sake, for your glory. Amen.